Father, I thank you for your word. I praise you, God, that even though these stories may be familiar, Lord God, even though these stories, Lord, are, are uh, man, well, they're not stories, Lord, they're history. And so, Father, as we study this history, as we look at these moments of time, God, and we, we glean out of them what you have for us, God, I pray, Father, that we would come with a fresh set of eyes, Lord, a heart that's ready to receive. And Father, most of all, I'm asking, as I always ask, God, get me out of the way, Lord. Nobody came to hear from a man. We need to hear from you, Lord. We desire to hear from you. So God, would you speak today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, it is 9.30 already. Oh my gosh. So before we get started, real, real quick, you guys, anybody that's watching online, we are doing communion today. So go and grab whatever elements you want as we go through this so you're ready. When we do communion, uh, they can be Oreos and Diet Coke, Oreos and milk, whatever you want. Um, the, really, the point is, you guys, it's not about having grape juice and a dry cracker. That's not what Jesus used. He used bread which probably tasted delicious, and wine. And so it's not about what we use. It's literally about the heart that we take it with. And so I would just encourage you now, go and prepare so you can join with us in communion. So you guys, we are starting in verse 16. And this story, like I said, we've, we've known it. We, we know it really well. So we're just gonna kind of chop this up and, and look at it today. And so you guys ready? We're starting in verse 16. It says this. Now behold... One came and said to him, to Jesus, good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And so he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. We're going to stop there. So this guy, this random fella comes up to Jesus and says a very interesting thing. He says, good teacher. And then he asks, what good thing do I need to do so that I can gain eternal life? He wanted to know, you guys, how he could earn his way into heaven. How he could get his ticket into the eternal rock show that's going to be the praise and worship that's happening in heaven. I'm just saying, it's going to be a little hardcore. <laughs> right? It's going to be amazing, you guys. We will literally be singing our faces off. So I just want to encourage y'all, again, I'm always going to keep saying it over and over again. If you sit here like this and worship, and I got to tell you, from that little seat back there, I can see y'all. <laughs> and so there's people that are like, yes, woo, right? And there's people that are like, mm-hmm. And there's people that are like this. And then there's a few, I'm not going to name names, mostly men, <laughs> that are like, Think of this as your eternal pose. <laughs> Jesus is like, man, I love you. And you're like, mm. is that really what's going to be happening in heaven? No, you're going to be like, yes, I love you too. Thank you for saving me, right? You're going to be blown away by that. Why wouldn't you be that way now in praise and worship? I'm just saying, y'all, come on. <laughs> you guys, he was looking for the answer to how he is going to get himself to heaven. You see that? He's not asking any other thing. That's the question he's asking this good teacher. And he calls Jesus a good teacher. And Jesus asks him a very pointed question. Do you know what you're even saying when you're calling me good? Right? Because he like points it out. He's like, listen, first off, I want to say this. Jesus isn't denying the designation of good. 
He's not saying I'm not good. He's asking him a hard question, a really good pointed question. Do you even know what you're saying? Is that just a platitude? And I got to ask us a question, you guys. When we go to prayer and we're like, oh, Lord Jesus, would you get me out of this bind? Do we understand that Lord means master? Do we understand that when we say Lord Jesus, we're saying boss, master, the one that is in charge, the one that if you say jump, I should ask how high? That's who you're talking to. And I think that's a good question for us to ask because I don't know about you guys, but for me sometimes, I get a little flippant in my prayers. And sometimes God has to remind me like, who are you talking to? You know? God, can you just fix this? Come on, man. Lord, what the heck? My car, just fix the brakes. He's like, you got money, go fix them yourself, (laughs) right? (laughs) Oh, okay, Jesus, thanks. Right? No, but it's that idea that like, yes, God wants us to bring our requests to him. God wants us to have a conversation with him. We're supposed to pray unceasingly. That is meant to be a conversation. But I've got this little bobblehead in my office that I have as a joke that I bought when I was in the military that's from a movie that's not the best movie in the world, right? And it's called Buddy Christ. It's Buddy Jesus. And he's like, And it's Jesus like that. And I think sometimes I keep it now as a reminder to myself, like he is my God, he is my master, and he loves me, and he's my buddy, and he's all those things all at the same time. But I can't just look at him as my buddy, which means that his words are just suggestions. And I can't look to him and just think on the other side, like some people do, he's the master and the boss, and he will crush you into the ground if you do one thing wrong. That's not who he is either. He's all of those things. He can crush you into the ground. I've said it a thousand times. If God chose, he could go like this and stop the earth for two seconds and we go, and fly off and die. He has the power to do that. He won't ever do that because he is love. But we can't stop and think, oh, God is love. He loves me. I can do whatever I want because his word clearly says we can't do whatever we want. We have to recognize that he has the power and authority to go, and stop the earth. Do you get it? All of those things are true simultaneously. And we know we serve a loving, gracious God, so he's not going to stop the earth. But I think the second we stop realizing he could is the second sometimes, at least for me, you guys, that I start maybe taking his lordship a little bit for granted. And so I'm just saying, it's a good reminder for all of us, hey, why are you calling me good? Do you even know what that means? Right? And so here, you guys, I got to say this. He points out to the guy. He says, man, only God is good. And can I say this? This was like his little kind of like quiet claim of deity. Do you guys hear that here? He's like, only God is good. And he's like, so I'll leave that there for you. (laughs) Right? Like, there you go. What do you think about that? Do you understand what I'm getting at? right? Like that's kind of what's happening here. I'm just going to leave it here. And so I love that he just does it this way with this guy. Why? You guys remember and think about this. Here's this guy, which we know is the rich young ruler. Other gospels, one of them tells us that he's young. Matthew, I think is the one that tells us he's young. I think it's Mark that tells us he's rich and Luke that he's a ruler. I think like if you read them all together, you'll find out he's the rich young ruler. So this guy had authority. This guy had power. This guy, it seems as if possibly was somehow in religious leadership of some sort. He had his life, quote unquote, together. He had done really well for himself according to the world's standards in every way. 
And so here's this guy, and he's like, hey, man, what do I got to do, Jesus? What do I got to do to get into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus is like, do you even know who you're talking to, first off? And then second off, and I, I love that he answers it. He says, look, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. If you want to earn your way into heaven, I can give you the same answer. You ready? Keep everything perfectly from the day you draw breath until the day you stop drawing breath. Keep it all perfectly. Has anyone lived that way up to this point in their lives? No. We're dedicating a baby, second service, Posey. She's a real cutie. And guess what? She's probably already screwed up. She's probably had some thought of anger in her mind towards her mom and dad, like, right? That milk didn't come fast enough. <laughs> right? Do you know what I'm getting at? Like, it's for real. We are all sinners. Right. We're all messed up. We've already lost the battle before the battle really even started because as a baby, you don't even know. And as a toddler or by two, you still don't really know who Jesus is. And I just got to say to you guys, and we talked about this a couple chapters ago, right? Or a couple weeks ago, I believe that there is an age of accountability and that prior to that, God is gracious and brings you to heaven. So I'm not saying that they're somehow lost. I'm getting at the fact though that it doesn't take long hanging out with a two-year-old to recognize and realize, oh, there's some sin in that kid's life, right? I mean, does it take that long, right? Don't touch that. (laughs) I'm gonna touch it, (laughs) right? I just said, don't. Honor your father and mother, (laughs) right? So Jesus is honest with him. He's like, hey, if you wanna get to heaven, you need to perfectly keep every commandment. Perfectly keep it. If you ever break one commandment, you cannot get there on your own. That was what he was trying to kind of aim him at. And I got to say something, you guys. The interesting part is the fact that he was willing to ask the question is more than most Americans, especially here in New England, are willing to do even today. So before we look at this guy and we're like, what an idiot. Oh, I can't believe he didn't understand that he couldn't get there on his own. Like, oh, what the heck, guy? You don't know that it's all about Jesus? Can I just say something? Man, we got people here in the church that are still trying to figure this question out. Oh, I did bad this week. God's mad at me. Nope, God loves you. You might get a pow-pow because he loves you enough to tell you, right? But he, but he loves you. He loves you. Like, you, we have people here in the church that still don't get this. They still need to learn and grow in this. And that's part of the sanctification process, right? I used to think the same thing when I first got saved. Oh man, I smoked a pack and a half of cigarettes. God's mad at me. And God's like, no, your breath just stinks. (laughs) And your clothes, right? You get my point? Like we're all growing and learning in this, but we have guys, we have people, we go out into the street all summer long and we minister down in Portsmouth. We go out in the square and we just sing worship and and just sing our faces off to people and people try to give us money and we're like, no, man, it's all about Jesus. Like, we don't want your money. That's not the point. And we talk to people and often when we go up and we talk to people, it's this amazing, awesome moments of conversation. But sometimes, sometimes when we go to talk to people and just one this summer that just stuck out to me, I was talking to a brother who will remain nameless who was like, man, I can't hand out anything. I can't, hand, I know I'm too, I can't do that. And I'm like, come on, man, it's not that hard. I'm like, the worst thing that'll ever happen is you'll just, they'll tell you no or whatever. And so I went up and I was like, look, watch, it's easy. And I went over and I talked to this guy. And as soon as I walked over to the guy, the guy's like, and I was like, hey man, how you doing? I was like, can I 
can I just talk to you, man? Is there anything, you, like, what do you think of the music? And he's like, hmm. And I was like, well, I want to talk to you about Jesus. Like, do you know who Jesus is? He's like, no, nah, I'm all set. And I'm like, oh. I'm like, was there anything I can pray for you for? Like, because, man, I don't, I don't know about you, but like, he's like, I don't believe in Jesus. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, well, what do you believe in? And he's like, myself. And I'm like, well, I don't believe in that. But I'm like, but is there anything I can pray for you for? And I said, but because I'll pray to God. And he was like, no, no, I'm all set. I'm all set. I'm all set. And it was just one of those things. And so I walked back to my brother and I was like, that is literally the worst it will ever get. <laughs> like pretty much you will be utterly shut down. Nothing to be worried about. Just do it. Right? You guys, the fact is, is that makes me sad because that's not even as far along as this rich young ruler was. Do you get it? We have a lot of people specifically and I'm saying this as a person that grew up in Pennsylvania, lived all over the world with the military, lived on the West Coast and came out here. Man, in a way, I feel like I'm home because people in PA, they don't just say I'm all set. They punch you in the face, right? It's, it, it's like worse in some ways if they don't know you. But the other truth is, though, is that there's something about up here with Harvard and Yale and all these wonderful educational areas where people just seem to think that their education is what gets them to heaven, that their education is what gives them God. And it's a sad thing because the fact is, is that they don't want to submit because they've got too many letters behind their name. And it's not just that, you guys. There are people that have never went to college in New England that are just like, I did this by myself. Yes, you did. Just like we all did. And you're headed straight to hell, just like we all are. You need Jesus, just like we do, <laughs> right? So man, we can't be too hard on this guy. But we need to look at it and say, man, what, what's up here? And so let's keep reading. Verse 18. He said to him, the rich young ruler said, which ones? Which is a very arrogant response. Keep the commandments. He says, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all of these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? <laughs> First off, the man asking God in flesh which ones he needed to keep is interesting because it's like there's 613 of them. And if you're so smart there, big fella, you should know all of them already. But there's 10 big ones that the other ones were built off of, right? Right? So like you should at least know the 10. And if you notice what Jesus gives him here, he's like, all right, what about this list here? Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't lie. Honor your parents and love your neighbor as yourself. And this guy's like, man, I did all those from my youth. I did all those from the day I was born. He has never failed in any one of those areas. You think that's true? <laughs> I think he's bearing false witness, right? I think he's lying. <laughs> but let's say, even if it is unlikely that it was completely true, can I just say something? The only way that that could be completely true and he would be answering quote unquote honestly is if it was only in the standard of man. Does that make sense? Because like I can look pretty good 
You can look pretty good on the outside. The world might look at you and be like, man, that guy is really holy. Or that lady, oh man, I never hear a bad word come out of her mouth. I think she is just the closest to God of any human being I've ever met in my life. But the reality is, you guys, and we all know this, if you're here today and you've accepted Christ, you realize more and more and more. The more you grow, the more you walk with the Lord, the further you realize you have to walk. Don't, isn't that true? The more you're like, oh man, Lord, not only have I not kept these from my youth, but man, I screwed up on some of these today. And I don't, the day's not over yet. I don't even know what I've got left to do. And that's not to count the rest of my days, right? And that's the way Christians recognize, man, we need a savior. Amen. That's the point. Right. Do you see the arrogance in this guy's heart? Can I ask us a really hard question? Do we see this arrogance in some churches today? People, when you walk in and they're like, you are wearing a Budweiser shirt? Oh, I can't, my eyes. Right? You smell like smoke. What did you do? Smoked a cigarette. (laughs) The building's not falling down. I think God's okay. I mean, we have churches like that, you guys. I invited, I talk about this. I went to a church, I won't name where, and we went in and, man, we felt called to this church. I had a friend that was pastoring it and it was, and I, I love the people, but I invited my neighbor who had agoraphobia. He was afraid of crowds. And so I, I asked the pastor, I'm like, hey, can I bring him in like during the week to just let him, give him the lay of the land, let him know where the exits are and try to like accommodate him as much as I could because the fact is him saying, I wanna come to church. I was able to pray and bring this guy, like, you know, just bring him to the Lord. And the Lord was like, just, I don't know. There was, you know, like when you see someone that you're like, man, I don't get what's going on and I don't understand, but I know I need what you've got. And so then I was like able to just pray with him with his wife and his daughter. And and so they start coming to church and they all smoked, not the daughter. She was little, right? But the the, the husband and the wife smoked. And so I said to the pastor, I'm like, hey man, it's a big parking lot. Do you mind if they go out there in the corner to smoke? And he's like, yeah, I don't care. And so they did. And and they walked in and there were some people that were like, they came over to me and I'm like, Jeremy, did you, like, who is that? And I was like, oh, you should be, come on. Like, and they're like, no, no, no. Did, did, did you see that they were smoking? And I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> no, I didn't do that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know. And you're gossiping. I did say that to one lady. She wasn't happy. The fact is, you guys, we're all sinners. Saved by grace. Does God want to take that stuff away? Sure, he does. He does. Is it his job to get rid of that stuff? Yes. What's our job? Submit. Submit to God and be like, man, Lord, I am messed up. Lord, help me. That is not what this guy's doing. (laughs) This rich young ruler was not doing that. He was like, what do I got to do? Got it. What else do I got to do? And he was waiting for the next response. But let's cover some of these things that Jesus brought up. Because if this guy would have been around in Matthew chapter 5, flip back with me. Right? Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, an awesome, amazing piece of scripture that took us like three weeks to dig through. Just like this chapter is going to take us, hopefully, three weeks. If the Lord tarries, might take four. We'll see. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21, I'm just covering three of the areas that Jesus brought up. 
Verse 21 of chapter five says this. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, which means basically you empty-headed fool, they shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. What's Jesus saying? Man, you can wish murder upon people with your words and with your thoughts. You think that guy maybe ever did that? Possibly, right? Let's flip back over or go over to the left or to the right a little bit to verse 27. Adultery. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You guys, he's a man. If we did a show of hands, I'm doubting there would be many men, if any, that couldn't raise their hands in this spot. I could. Just being really honest, we've all fallen in this. And it's not just men, it's women too. Right? Matthew 5, chapter, or verse 43, flip over there with me. 543 says this. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. For you may be sons, or I'm sorry, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. That last sentence is crushing because here's what he's saying. He's saying the standard is perfection. That's the standard. The standard is perfection. And can I tell you guys something? We just ain't cutting it with our righteousness, right? The Bible tells us, man, our, our righteousness is like literally filthy rags. That word there means something really gross, but we'll use this term to describe it. Dirty toilet paper, used toilet paper. This is gross. That's what our righteousness is compared to God's righteousness. Do you get it? We are not bringing our A game. We're not even bringing our F game. I don't even know if we're on the stinking alphabet in the game we're bringing before the Lord. That's what we bring, nothing. I've said it before, we bring our need and our want and Jesus answers every one of those needs and wants on the cross. Verse 21, back in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, Go, sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Let's flip over to Mark chapter 10. 
real quick, just to give us another little flavor of this moment, because I love how Mark wrote this. And I want you guys to remember as we talk about Mark, anytime we're in Mark, you need to remember Peter, historically, it's, it's known that Peter kind of just spoke to John Mark and John Mark wrote down what Peter was saying. And so with Mark, you're getting the flavor of what Peter saw and how Peter was looking at things, right? And so when we read this, can you guys imagine Peter talking about this moment? Listen to the words here. Verse 21 in Mark chapter 10 says this. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. You guys, Jesus, hears his response. He knows this man's heart. He knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that this man will never make it to heaven on his own, even though that's what he's trying to do, even though that's what he's trying to figure out. And he doesn't start by calling out the obvious arrogance of this man, does he? He didn't do it to begin with when he's like, oh, good teacher, tell me what to me being so good must do to get to heaven. He doesn't cut it right there. Like he, he could have just been like, what? But he doesn't. He tells him, he's like, man, you got to follow the law perfectly, which you would think for a person that was less arrogant and a little bit more humble would be like, okay, that's not me. But no, instead the guy's like, so like what? And then he goes through just a short list and notice that everything that he did had nothing to do with God. It was literally how we interact with one with another because we screw up enough there, not let alone like how we interact with God. And so Jesus was like, let's just look here on the temporal, on the, on the kind of the, the, the back and forth here on how you treat other people. Just that alone. And he was like, did it, nailed it. From day one, I've nailed it. And even then when God could have been like, man, I remember how you didn't honor your mom and dad. I remember when you looked at that woman in lust. I remember, and I could tell you these things. I could punk you out right now. And yet, I love what Mark says. And I, I just want us to get our head around the fact that here's Peter saying to Mark, when he looked at him, I saw love. Because how many times did Peter put his foot in his mouth that God, Jesus probably looked at him and was like, same look. The same love of like, oh, you foolish man, <laughs> I love you. How often does God look at us and say, oh, I could eat your lunch right now, but instead I'm going to love you and I'm going to just guide you gently. Isn't that awesome? He doesn't call out the arrogance. He doesn't throw a flag on the play, right? He's not like, Boop! I'm calling it. I'm throwing the flag. That's garbage. It's lie. You're a liar. You, you've just broke a commandment. Sinner. Right? Like he doesn't do that. He loves them. He loves them. Jesus, you guys, does the same thing with us. He hears our false bravado. He hears it. I just screwed up last night. We had our, uh, we, completed rooted and we got we graduated another class of rooted and and I said something I probably shouldn't have said that was just a joke a little jokey wokey and I said it and my wife looked at me and she said what she likes to say whenever I say something is a little too crass and she's like did you run that one by the Holy Spirit and I was like yes and then after that I'm like no 
God, forgive me. And then this morning, you guys, this is when the Lord does this. I'm brushing my teeth. I'm looking in the mirror and he's like, no, for real, don't do that again. And I was like, oh Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, God. And he's so gracious, you know? I love that God is just so gracious. Aren't you guys glad that he loves us in spite of us? So Jesus tells this guy, hey man, there's one thing you lack. He knew this guy's heart. He knew this guy's heart. He's like, you know what? There's one thing you lack, and here's what it is. It's the one thing you value more than me. It's the one thing that you put above God. It's the one thing that's keeping you from actually doing what you say you do, which is love your neighbor. Because you ain't loving your neighbor if you're hoarding everything. And so, man, he's like, go get rid of everything. Get rid of it all. Come follow me. And now... This is where everybody in the whole congregation in America goes, boink, and shuts their ears. Don't do that. Don't do that because it's not about money, you guys. What was he telling me? He was saying, go get rid of everything that you put above me. That's not just money. It was money in this guy's case. It's money in this guy's case. And the man went away sad. Why? Because he couldn't do it. And I want to take some time here. I want to look and examine because the fact is, you guys, God is not telling us here in the church that we all need to sell our possessions and get rid of everything. He's not saying that. But can I also say what he's also not saying? He's also not saying that he might not ever say to one of us, go and sell everything and follow me in a way that is blowing your mind. So we can't say absolute, oh, Well, he told this one guy to do it, and therefore that means all of us. That's not what he's saying. But we also cannot say absolutely, he will never say to any of us in here to do that very thing. Do you understand? And so we kind of got to keep the balance here, the context of scripture. We've got to look at it, and I've got to ask a real hard question of us. Are we willing to follow God, our master? If you're here today and you call him Lord, If you've accepted the salvation that he offers you guys, I got to say, I would hope and pray that our hearts would be willing to do whatever he asks of us. And the truth is, for some of us, and this is not a condemnation, it's just an honest response. For some of us, serving coffee to everybody else in this church is too hard. For some of us, getting out of bed and coming to church faithfully every Sunday is really hard. And can I just promise you something? God isn't here. I'm reading a book right now that's about the importance of the church, not this building, us, the people. We are the church, right? And it's this thing that's resonating in my heart because I feel like it's been the drumbeat of this church for years. And they said something just super profound. I should have brought up the book. Dang it. They say this. They're like, Let me think about it. I just read it to you guys this morning. Can you go get me the book? Thank you. It's this really profound statement that I just, I'm like blown away by. I I love it. I I think it's just so awesome that he, he just hits the nail on the head of what church is because this whole book is talking about the pandemic and, and just all of the things that have been going on. Thank you, sir. Everybody give him a hand. He's awesome.
says this. This is just in the introduction. So it tells you it's a good book when the introduction's blowing your mind. God does not invite us to church because it's a comfortable place to find a bit of spiritual encouragement. No, he invites us into a spiritual family of misfits and outcasts. He welcomes us into a home that's rarely what we want, yet just what we need. That statement has been blowing my mind because I feel like that's us. That should be us. And so the question becomes, misfits and outcasts, all of us, man, are we ready to be used by God or are we just gonna keep holding on to what little things we have and thinking that that's, that's more important? Are we ready to hold on to our covers and be like, no, I don't wanna get out of bed this Sunday and Jesus is like, yeah, but I have an appointment for you. You're supposed to be there to be part of the church because you're, when you're missing, the body is missing a piece. And you're like, no, I'm gonna hold on to my covers because they're more important. I'm not gonna serve in this church. Why? Well, because the coffee's not that great, which is true, you know? And like, but it tastes, it tastes better than, guess what? It tastes better than you guys, air. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, there are people here that are like, man, I don't wanna serve. I don't wanna do this. Why? Well, because I've got a, I've got a busy life like you and the rest of everybody else in this world. Everybody's busy. It's about what we make time to do. It's not about how much time we have because everybody in this whole world gets the same 24 hours. You're not special, right? I'm not special. We all have to make what we want to do with those 24 hours. So God is here telling us, look, you don't have to sell everything, but also I might call you to a radical step of obedience. Are you ready? That's what he's saying. And can I say something, you guys? Taking a radical step of obedience when you see and hear the Lord calling you out into it, you guys, is always the best option. It's always the best option. We get to be a bunch of misfits and freaks all together, hanging out and loving on one another and like knocking off rough edges and being on an adventure together. And we're all like in this Honda Accord just driving along, this old hoopty, right? That's barely, barely getting us along. And we're like, ah! ride or die right and we're like throwing more people in along the way that is the church that's what it's meant to be and I ain't getting out and God has saw fit to put me in charge of this hoopty and my driving's not the best so I need you all to be like no you were supposed to turn right <laughs> and I'm like what that's the joy of being on an adventure together, you guys. That's the joy of being part of a church. That's the joy the great young ruler missed out on because he valued everything except the one thing that mattered the most. Verse 23. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, assuredly I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So Jesus looks at the disciples and he points out like a really hard truth. And I've got to say this, Americans, we are the 
We are the 1%. All the people, all the college kids that were up on Wall Street last summer and being like, we're against the one percenters. I'm like, you are one. You're against yourself. You had a college education. That's way more than 90% of the world. Like, we're doing great here, guys. Right? Like, we are the 1%. And so I got to say, I don't find it difficult. We as a church should not find it difficult to understand why when Jesus makes this statement that it is harder for a rich man or it's harder for an, a camel to get through the eye of a needle, which is a bloody affair if you can imagine that one, right? It's like, right? Hair, it's nasty. It's not possible, is it? And so that's what, that's what the disciples are like. Well, if that's the way it is, then who's going to be saved? And Jesus is like, now you're getting it. Now you're getting it. Your riches aren't going to get you anywhere. Your house and cars, might, your cars might get you from point A to point B, but there's no trip to heaven coming out of it, right? Like all of that is nothing in comparison to what Jesus did on the cross. And what did he do? He sacrificed his life, you guys. And so they're saying, man, it's hard for a rich person to get to heaven. When you rely on your own wealth and power, when you rely on the education that you have, when you rely on the fact that you got really good setups from your grandparents or your parents and you have this awesome, amazing, like your house is paid for and you're good and you're set, you don't need Jesus. Church is just something you do every once in a blue moon just to tell everybody how cool you are. If that's the way you're looking at life, you're seeing it all wrong. You're the rich man. You're the rich man. Because we do have an overabundance of wealth in this country. We have an overabundance of knowledge in this country. People come from all over the world to come to our schools. Sometimes I wonder why, but they do. We have an overabundance of so many things here in America, you guys. And again, this is not a money conversation. This is a where do you put your trust conversation. That's what this is. That's what it was with the rich young ruler. It had nothing to do with his money. It had everything to do with where he was putting his trust. So Jesus, you guys, he makes this humorous analogy here. A camel is never going to fit through the eye of the needle. I already got into this, but can I just say something, you guys? There are some people that teach this idea that like, oh, well, there was the camel gate and then there was the gate next to it that was really tiny and they had to like take everything off the camel and they had to do this thing. Well, they haven't really found that archaeologically. I don't know where that came from. No, here's what Jesus meant because I love, when you guys read the gospel, man, Jesus was not afraid of sarcasm. Jesus had a sense of humor. He was awesome. I can't wait to meet him. And so when you read this, it is what he meant. He wanted you to get the picture of a camel sticking his little uh, nose through the needle and being like, I don't fit. Right? That was the idea. It's ridiculous. So the disciples, you guys, their minds were being blown because here's the truth. Wealth and power in this time in history was looked upon as a status of God loving you. Does that sound familiar? Sounds a lot like health and wealth. The Lord is going to bless you. Have enough faith, brother. If you have enough faith, you're going to drive a Maserati and you're going to have everything you ever need. And if you send me a 25, 25, I'll send you a wallet that'll never be empty. It's kind of sickening because it's just not true. 
It's not what God's word teaches. He's saying, if that's what you think, you're a camel. You're not going to fit. It sounds too familiar, you guys. And Jesus was saying here, money, a lot of times, it just gets in the way and becomes an idol. The happiest people I knew. Look, I grew up very, very poor. Very poor. We lived in a hunting cabin. We, when you opened up the cabinet doors to our kitchen, you would see the electrical wires and the studs because there was just nothing there, right? And like we had more critters living. It was like Cinderella, you know? I'd be like, I need to sweep. Come on, mice, help me out, right? It was bad. We had a, we had a, um, we put a uh, tennis racket in the, uh, in the utility room, the door you first walked into because bats would live in our attic and then they would get down into the house. And so you would walk in and you'd hear over your head and you'd be like, whoa, and you grab it and they've got the bong. Yeah. I don't know if you knew this, bats will get out of the way of pretty much anything, but they cannot see a tennis racket. Good information in case you ever get a bat. Grab yourself a tennis racket or a racquetball racket and be like, four, paya, send them flying. That's how I grew up, you guys. So what am I saying? We were a happy family. Like we had our issues, but we were happy. Do you understand? Because we didn't have all the extra stuff to deal with. We didn't. We had a car that was the blue bomb. It was a Plymouth Duster. The reason we called it the blue bomb is because when my parents would come to pick me up from school, we'd go, ka boom <laughs> You'd be like, oh, bye, guys. <laughs> right? Get in the car. And then I loved it because my, man, my dad would sometimes, he would get there and be like, hey, kids, turn off the car. And I'd be like, don't, don't turn off the car. Just let it, once it blew up once, it was good. And then he'd be like, boom. And you'd be like, bye. You guys, a lot of times money just gets in the way, doesn't it? It really does. And it's not just money. Education can get in the way. When we start getting more and more degrees, you guys, listen, I have a degree in pastoral studies, and I have friends that have gone on and now are doctors, and I've got all these people that I know from college that have gone on, and it's awesome. But here's the saddest part is there are some of my friends that I love dearly that are borderline walking away from the faith because they've got so much head knowledge about the Bible now that they don't know that the Bible's true anymore. You started studying this because this was gospel truth. What happened? You let your education become an idol. You let it get in the way. Jesus was saying this. He was saying that far too many people refuse to give up the God that is more important than Yahweh God. There's a quote here from David Guzik that I liked. It says this, the principle remains. God may challenge and require an individual to give something up for the sake of his kingdom that he still allows to someone else. And there are many who perish because they will not forsake what God tells them to. The disciples, you guys, were blown away because they're like, man, look, I thought that this whole thing about wealth and money was the way to be like, show that you were closer to God. And, and Jesus, you just, you just blew this away. So how can anybody be saved? And the fact is, is that it seems like, man, the, the disciples were obviously influenced by the common teaching in the day. And today, in today's culture, you guys, it is not uncommon for me to hear things like this from some people in my church of like, man, if I just have more faith in this area, or if I just was ever, or I'm claiming this, or I'm doing that. And I'm like, 
God's not, arm's not going to be twisted. You're not going to like change his mind. He's got his mind made up, right? We go to the Lord and we, we ask for things. Why? Not so his heart will be changed, but so ours, our hearts will be changed, right? We go to God and we're like, God, if it be your will that this be done, like, please do it. And this is the way I'd like to see it done, Lord. But if it's not, change my heart. Bring my heart in line with your will. That's the prayer I want. I want the prayer that's going to be answered by you because it's the way you want it, not the prayer I want. I love it because, again, Jesus is so gracious. He doesn't look at the people and say like, man, you guys, you've been believing, believing the Pharisees and all these people that are wealthy and you're thinking that that's the way to get to heaven? Like, you've been believing that? How you know, come on. And can I just say something? If there's one human being in all of the earth ever that's ever been, Jesus was God in flesh. So that automatically gives him the right to say whatever he wants to anybody. But can I just say one other thing? Even if all you did was just observe the life of Jesus, we're told in God's word that, man, he had no place to lay his head. What possessions did Jesus have? What golf cart did he drive around in whenever he was at an event? What things did he own that he had to keep going back and checking on? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing was before him except God, the Father, who he talked with regularly. That was it. So, you guys, the story brings up a lot of questions. Like, what did Jesus telling this guy to sell everything have to do with me? What does it have to do with me? Is he saying for me to do that? Does none of this even matter to me? Like, I'm dirt poor now, so it definitely doesn't apply to me. Maybe that's the question you're asking. Maybe that's the statement you're making. But I want us to ask a bigger question. What would Jesus say to you, knowing your heart? What thing would he put before you and say, you know what? One thing you're lacking. Put that thing away. Put that habit away. Put that idol away. And come follow me. I think for each of us, you guys, and this week as I've been preparing, I've been asking God that very question. And he's been putting some things before me that I have to go to God and be like, man, Lord, that's a tough one. But if it's your will that that happened, then Lord, help me. Right? Like, we all have things in our lives, habits. Things in our lives that we're like, man, sometimes, maybe even idols, things that are above God for a season that we put above God. That can be our kids. It can be our spouses. It can be a video game system. It could be a TV show. It could be a lot of things. I'm just naming things that have been true in my own life. Areas of my own life that I've had to be like, oh Lord, forgive me. I've been putting that person or that thing in too high of a location because you come first always. And it, the fact is, you guys, it may be money. That may be the thing for you, but it could be a million other things instead. And are you willing to be obedient and follow after God in that thing? Are you willing to be obedient? You know what it could be? It could be a relationship that you know isn't honoring God, but you're just not willing to give it up. 
You're like, man, I started having sex with my girlfriend like years ago. Now I accepted Christ and uh, it's just so tough. I mean, we've been together for years. That's fine. Stop having sex first off. And second off, are you even supposed to be in that relationship? Is she a believer? What's that look like? Are you willing to give that up? Maybe it's your constant need to look at porn and exploit women. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's social media where you're a rock star and you don't want to start having a place to put all your planted photos. You guys know what planted means? No? Okay. For all you older folks, I'll tell you something. I had to learn this from my kids. Planted is this, candid, but planned, candid. That's planted. So that I can be like, look at me, I'm up here teaching in front of a bunch of people, right? That's planted. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's your Facebook posts. Maybe it's Facebook as a whole. Maybe it's all of your social media that you're like, man, this is above God in this season. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your job. Maybe you're like, man, I've got so much satisfaction. I'm in authority. I've been here for years. I'm actually, I've made it. I've arrived. You guys, when I was in the military, you start off as literally a grunt. I worked my way up. I was an E6. I only had like one, maybe two more stripes to make. And I was super stoked and I was set and I loved it. And then there was a time that God was like, here's a motorcycle accident. Now it's gone. And I'm like, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Why? Because I was loving the position I was in. I was loving the fact that I was in more authority and more power. I was loving the fact that whenever I was stationed in Idaho and it was freezing cold, that the airmen had to go outside and I got to sit inside and work on a computer. I mean, I'm just being real, right? Like I love that too much. And maybe you guys, maybe just maybe it is your money that you think means safety and security that you think means something more than something that could literally disappear tomorrow. So the question remains for all of us is, who is God in your life? Is God your God? Are you ready to give up any other false God that you're putting in front of him? These are hard questions. But like I said before, you guys, I promise you that obedience to God is always, a life fully surrendered to God is always the best. It's the best. Because it's the best adventure that you could ever be on. It's a way better adventure than sitting there and watching your bank account. Or watching any TV or screen, period. It's a way better adventure, you guys. Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, Come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.